This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, February 14th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. According to two U.S. senators, the CIA is engaged in holding sensitive data about Americans. It's not clear what data the CIA has, but it seems likely the agency has circumvented laws meant to proscribe the collection and storing of information about Americans. Cato's Patrick Eddington and Julian Sanchez comment. Pat, I want to start with you. What have you been asking the federal government for with respect to information about data collection about Americans? Well, in the context of uh, the organization we're going to discuss this morning, the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, at Cato, we submitted a Freedom Information Act request to the PCLOB a few years back, looking essentially to get some of these reports that they had uh, alluded to publicly but had never released on this thing called Executive Order 12333, which is uh, probably best thought of as the kind of day-to-day operating guide for U.S. intelligence community components. And we essentially got stiff-armed uh, by the PCLOB, which of course led to our, our lawsuit, which is ongoing. And what we were trying to get at essentially is, you know, who's hiding the ball here and, and what, is this, what is this really all about? What, what, what is happening essentially under this broad executive order that's been in place for over 40 years now? that may implicate the privacy and civil liberties uh, of Americans. And, and so, you know, we, we have a little bit of a better idea now, uh, as Julian, I think we'll get into in much more detail here in a couple of minutes, uh, about at least one of those reports that we've been seeking. All right, Julian, what has been declassified here? And what do we know now that we didn't know a couple of days ago? Well, not a whole lot, frankly. Uh, Senators Wyden and uh, Heinrich uh, had uh, requested declassification of a letter uh, they sent uh, to the CIA uh, concerning a bulk collection program that had been the uh, subject of a privacy and civil liberties board oversight board uh, sort of deep dive analysis. Uh, and so it was declassified was their own letter, uh, along with uh, some not terribly informative uh, fragments of uh, the PCLOB's output, including staff recommendations um, regarding this bulk collection program, uh, Wyden and Heinrich, as as Wyden uh, is often fond of doing, however, have sort of given us um, some hints in that letter as to the nature of this. So all that's you know, really uh, public now is that there is some such program um, that is conducted pursuant to uh, Executive Order Twelve Triple Three, which is issued initially by President Reagan in nineteen eighty one, and which is the sort of uh, the background, the backdrop. Uh, charter uh, governing uh, intelligence activities by the American intelligence community. It's it's sort of what applies when more specific legislation like FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, um, doesn't cover a particular type of intelligence activity. Um, so if 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 Congress has not spoken, um, twelve triple three is sort of the fallback. Uh, uh, both both sort of authority and limitation on uh, intelligence collection. Um, and so they suggest that this is a program that involves collection of and querying of uh, records for some kind of information about Americans. Um, but why didn't Heinrich add that it's something that uh, Americans would think uh, had been uh, 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 restricted or the kind of thing that had been, that would have been covered uh, by recent, reforms to FISA. Um, This is a reference to the USA Freedom Act, which was passed in response to um, 
the disclosures by Edward Snowden of uh, bulk telephone record collection by the NSA. Um, so Wyden and Heinrich are essentially saying this is the type of bulk collection program that uh, you know an ordinary American might think Congress had already put limits on uh, via these legislative reforms that passed post Snowden. Um, so I don't think it's a very great leap from there to to think, well, it sounds then like he's probably talking about a bulk collection program that involves some kind of either telephone or telecommunication records. Um, and so, you know, again, reading between the lines a little bit, um, it seems very likely that this uh, involves the exploitation of a loophole in in federal privacy law we've known about for quite a while. And indeed, way back in 2013, um, the New York Times had reported um, the CIA and, and other agencies were indeed exploiting um, to do large-scale collection of telephone records. Uh, and really, there, there are two potential loopholes here, right? One is uh, the federal privacy law, the Electronic Communications uh, Privacy Act of 1986, briefly put, right, um, prohibits telecommunications providers from disclosing to anyone with limited exceptions, the contents of their customers' communications, um, and but also prohibits those companies from disclosing to a government entity, like a law enforcement or intelligence agency, um, communications metadata, things like you know phone or internet records, without legal process, right? So the idea is if they're providing this information you know, to another private entity that they might have a, a contractual relationship with, um, that's one thing. But if they're going to be providing it to a law enforcement or intelligence agency, those agencies are supposed to go through uh, a, a, a sort of legal process uh, to obtain such information, except two loopholes. One is um, this limitation on disclosure to the government is binding on uh, essentially communication service providers to the public. So if they provide that data to another entity that they're allowed to, and that that entity isn't a communication service provider, the law doesn't say that that entity can't then turn around and give or sell the information to the government. Um, this is uh, something that uh, Wyden, among others, have, have uh, criticized and responded to with uh, a, a bill, proposed bill, called the Fourth Amendment is Not for Sale Act that would restrict um, government purchase of data that it would otherwise need to get legal process to obtain. Um, and the other loophole is a, uh, a carve out uh, in 18 U.S.C. 2511F uh, subsection 2. Uh, it says, look, all these regulations on how the government can obtain these records, but none of these rules should be interpreted to limit the collection of the acquisition of foreign intelligence by means other than electronic surveillance as defined by FISA. So FISA is the law that provides the exclusive means for government and intelli government intelligence agencies to do electronic surveillance, um, wiretapping, that sort of thing. Um, but getting records of, uh, for example, you know, phone bills or other kinds of uh, internet uh, information doesn't necessarily count as electronic surveillance as it's defined in that law. Uh, right. If they're not intercepting a communication, but just saying, hey, we want the phone records you store for your own purposes. The definition of electronic surveillance uh, in FISA doesn't cover that. So what the law essentially says there is, look, we've got all these elaborate rules that look like they limit what the government can do. But 
there's this category of stuff that falls between the cracks, um, at least uh, I should say to the extent that it concerns international or foreign communications um, or foreign communication systems. So essentially what they're saying here is, look, all of these elaborate rules and all of these processes, um, they don't apply if it's a it's an it's a it's an international communication so one end at least overseas and and you should you should note here right with with internet communications and, and many other kinds of modern communications um right you might have a communication with many participants uh would really only take one overseas to make the communication international um and it doesn't fall within the definition of electronic surveillance a lot of metadata collection wouldn't fall within that definition the law doesn't govern that so that's a, a kind of gap in the regulation. And in those cases, really, they fall back on uh, 12.333, right, which is the authority that exists when more specific legislation doesn't spell out what the intelligence agencies have to do. Um, and that's, uh, I think, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a problem, right, because uh, like, like water, um, government spying tends to take the path of least resistance. And so since um, the expiration of several Patriot Act authorities, we've you know, gotten the sense uh, through remarks by legislators that perhaps um, the intelligence committee had found ways to supplement these uh, lapsed uh, uh, authorities that Congress had 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 failed to reauthorize um, using authorities under uh, Executive Order Twelve Triple Three. And you know, I think intuitively this is not how it ought to work. That when an intelligence authority, a surveillance authority that Congress has passed um, does not get renewed. Um, and when the public in general like tends to believe that a certain category of surveillance activity is you know, fairly uh, uh, you know, reasonably regulated by this whole panoply of, uh, of statutory frameworks, um, well, the intelligence community shouldn't be looking for, for loopholes and alternate authorities that evade those restrictions and re-arrogate to themselves authorities Congress has chosen not to renew. Yeah, this is a bit of a dark joke, but uh, I I think I've heard it said that whenever an intelligence agency stops complaining about uh, powers or technical abilities that it doesn't have, that's perhaps the time to worry most. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad rule of thumb. Pat? I think it, it's important also to kind of emphasize here that this particular report we're discussing today deals with financial related information, which I think should be of deep concern to anybody, for example, who, um, let's say, contributes money uh, overseas, let's say to Arab or Muslim charities, uh, in, in which the uh, intelligence community, in this case, the Central Intelligence Agency, has a particular interest, right? Um, it, it's that kind of of modality essentially that uh, led to this uh, debacle of the of the Holy Land Foundation trial. You know, well over a decade ago, a trial, by the way, that most people consider to be an absolute travesty. Um, and and I think if we look actually at, at what the report itself says, to the extent that we can actually see anything that isn't blacked out, and we should just to be clear, this is there. There are two separate programs right that, that the mm -hmm. the board investigated one of them we don't really know anything about but i'm i'm betting it's probably uh, a telecommunications records program and there's a second program that involves financial data that pat is now talking about yeah yeah that's that's exactly right and and so when we kind of look at what the board had to say there uh on on the financial uh data one it's really clear that they are playing fast and loose with how they essentially allegedly protect 
the date of Americans. You know, it, it's important to to remember here that there is no actual external oversight that's taking place here. The CIA is making all these decisions about how they're going to store the data, how long they're going to store it. In some cases, they allegedly have to destroy uh, some types of data after five years. In some cases, they're allowed to keep data for up to 25 years. And we also know that there have been uh, what appears to be an extremely large number of unmasking requests uh, with respect to U.S. persons. And when I say a large number, we're guessing a little bit. But if you look at the redacted section where the attorney at the CIA they were dealing with is discussing this, that individual's ballpark estimate um, is redacted in such a way that at least eight to 10 characters have been redacted. Well, you you can kind of step back and begin to do the math in your head. Uh, it could be a very large number of folks uh, who are having essentially their identities unmasked. And, and I would find it difficult to believe, candidly, that let's say 100,000 Americans uh, are necessarily engaged in sending money to ISIS or other Salafist organizations. I'd, I'd find that really tough to believe. So it, it raises questions about the scope of the collection. It raises questions about, uh, at least in my mind, how did it get started? Who authorized this? Did this get started under Bush 43 or did it get started under Obama? We don't know. Um, we know that the PCLOB staff met with CIA about this multiple times between November of 2015 and August of 2016. But those were you know, staff presentations essentially by CIA. Again, CIA controlling the data. Uh, there's an algorithm that's involved, at least one algorithm that they're using. Nobody has any idea. No, no idea about the code. No idea how reliable it is. No external vetting of that, I'm willing to bet. So an awful lot, again, inside this, this black box that has barely been penetrated uh, by this release today. And of course, you know, Julian mentioned the other report, which at this stage of the game we know nothing about but that we at Cato are in court trying to litigate to get it out for the public. And Julian, you mentioned in a podcast that w we just recorded just a few days ago that there are uh, federal agencies already. Uh, there are members of Congress who seem to think that a whole lot of data, because it exists, the uh, government ought to have access to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it is an unfortunate side effect of a, a world in which, as a kind of default byproduct of network communications and computing devices with sensors on them uh, being pretty ubiquitous, um, a lot of structured data is generated by default. And because the price of data storage has dropped off a cliff over the last few decades, it's sort of cheaper to store data than to uh, erase it. And so, um, you know, whereas I think, you know, in a previous era, maybe uh, someone, if someone had said, hey, we should be collecting a lot of information about every uh, location people go to and every uh, you know news article everyone reads, you would say, my God, that's terrifying. And, and, and why would you propose that? But when the data is automatically generated as a byproduct of um, of these kind of ordinary activities as a function of how, you know, the internet and other technologies work, um, then it starts to seem like, you know, in the view of, of many people, at least a kind of, you know, perverse, willful blindness, not to, you know, not to exploit it. Why would you not, um, you know, make maximum use of, uh, of all this information if, uh, there's some prospect that this could be used for, uh, intelligence or law enforcement purposes. I will note, ironically, one of the very few things that comes out of, um, the the very limited disclosures we've just seen um, is that this does not seem to be an approach 
uh, that uh, the intelligence community is is really taking to its own um, processes, by which I mean um, one thing that's mentioned with respect to these programs is, um, okay, the system uh, has some way of determining when a query against these uh, these bulk collected records appears to concern a U.S. person, um, which would make sense if you're talking about phone or internet records. If this is a, a U.S. phone number or ISP, the system could easily detect that and say, hey, um, it looks like you're, you know, like Clippy, see, you know, spy Clippy pops up and says, hey, it looks like you're looking for U.S. person information. Um, and it sort of reminds them that you're, you need to have a legitimate foreign intelligence purpose under 12333 um, in order to, to go looking at this uh, information. But that's it. It's just like, a, you know, OK, um, it, what it doesn't do. And this was one of the recommendations the uh, PCLOB staff made was, hey, you know, if you want to do oversight of, of this after the fact, if you want to make it possible um, to actually review the CIA's conduct and, you know, in the case that there are concerns raised about um, some of this maybe not being appropriate, um, wouldn't it make sense to ask them to document the foreign intelligence purpose when they're making queries, uh, you know, against this database so that if someone's trying to do oversight a few years later, um, you don't just have to look at, you know, these queries all happened. We have no idea why. Let's hope someone remembers why they punched a search in five years ago, um, which is to say, right, um, they're making a design choice not to design their database system in a way that is friendly to uh, that is friendly to oversight of their surveillance activity, um, even though they are very glad to exploit. Um, the robust data collection of various private entities um, in order to do oversight of all of the rest of us. Patrick Eddington and Julian Sanchez are senior fellows at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>